It is 28 minutes after the hour, a Tuesday morning, and joining us now from Ashburn, Virginia, Pastor Robbie Pruitt. Robbie is an Anglican pastor, uh, uh, the executive director of Preserving Bible Times, and you've got to be such a good friend of ours. Thursday is just empty when you're not around, you know? It is always a pleasure to be with you, Jim, a joy. Uh, I know we're missing David today, but it's always a joy to be on the broken road with you. And Robbie, you're talking about Pentecost. This is another one of the liturgical church's holidays. I guess everybody knows about Pentecost, though the word means 50. It's 50 days after Easter. And it's also a Jewish festival period. Uh, feast of weeks, isn't it? Well, feast of, feast of, um, the, the feast of weeks. Yes, it's Shabbat or Shabbos. Mm-hmm. There are a couple different pronunciations of it. And it was on this week that the, the disciples were gathered in Jerusalem for the feast. It, it, it's, a, it's one of those pilgrimage feasts where everybody from around the area marches up, up to Jerusalem, singing the, the Psalms of Ascents, Ascents meaning going up altitude to Jerusalem, marching up from the Jordan Rift from, a, from a Jericho and, and elsewhere and congregating in, in what was just a mediocre size, medium size here, I shouldn't say mediocre, but 20,000 or so, except during feast weeks when right. it ballooned to as many as, as uh, 200,000, the experts say. So people would be camped all around in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane and open spaces and, and there for the feast. And on this particular day, there were people, well, it's a feast day, so there are people from really all over the world there, and something special happened at a gathering of the disciples. Now, I'm, I'm not sure what, what, what they were there, what they were gathered to do there, to, to worship, to pray, to meet people, to, 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 uh, to, to share what they knew about Jesus, because he had been, been gone now for what, now I'm, you correct me if I'm wrong, he ascended 10 days prior? Thereabout? Yeah, 40, 40 days. And he said, tarry in Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. You see this in Acts. Um, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1, uh, verse, verse 8. So Jesus is saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. So we talked about uh, Ascension last Thursday. We mm-hmm. actually talked about Ascension on Ascension Day, which was a yes. lot of fun. Yes. And this Sunday, the you might you might say it was an uplifting. It discussion. was a yeah. very uplifting. <laughs> we ascended. To uh, to to look look upon Jesus, the uh, high and lifted up upon His throne, and and this is basically the fulfillment of of uh, you know John's words, uh, where Jesus uh, says in John fourteen, it's beneficial that I go away because if I go away, I'm going to return to you. I'm going to send the Spirit of Truth, the Comforter. So that's John sixteen. And, uh, and and that's exactly what happens on Pentecost. And it's fulfilling, and, and many folks don't realize that it's actually fulfilling the minor prophet Joel. In Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 29, it says, and, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And so that is exactly what's happening in a Pentecost. 
Well, it doesn't say why they're gathered. It could have been just a friendly social gathering. It just says in chapter 2 of Acts, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Uh, do, I, do I envision this maybe around the temple? Because it was a feast day. This is a, a celebration of the wheat harvest in particular. Um, and with all these people, there must have been a gathering place. And where else could it have been but the temple area? Exactly. So they're they're gathering together a large crowd. The disciples are gathering together, and they're all in this one place. And this this wind comes suddenly. There came from heaven a sound like a rushing wind. And in Hebrew, it's ruach. It's the same word used for breath when God breathes in the breath of God into Adam. It's wind, breath, spirit. And then in Greek, it's pneuma. And again, the connotation is there, the wind, the breath, the spirit, or life. Uh, something, something that has force, but you can't see it. Right. And this, this invokes what uh, John 3, uh, Jesus' words to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it will, but you don't know where it's come from. You don't know where it's going. So is with everyone who's born of the spirit, because Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you must be born of water and spirit. So this spirit here, this ruach, Rob Bell makes the uh, theologian Rob Bell, and I know he's a controversial figure. His but ministry is called Numa, isn't it? He, right. Well, he had the Numa videos that mm -hmm. he did, like a video series. But the point there, he had one called Breathe, and he was saying that every time we say we breathe, we're basically speaking the word of God or, or the name of God, and so we're we're breathing in the Numa that sustains life or the breath of God, which sustains our life. It's the first thing we do when we're born. It's the last thing we do when we die. We take our last breath. We take our first breath. And so the Spirit of God sustains us. And I think that's exactly right. It's why we've we've never really met an atheist because they're always speaking the name of God with every breath. Hmm. It's God's breath that sustains them. See, as Lewis creeping into our conversation here, you never met uh, a, a mere mortal. Uh, yeah, a mere mortal, because everybody is is immortal it's just a matter of where they're going to spend the rest of eternity yeah so and again pentecost is undoing uh really genesis chapter 11 when god confuses the language of people in babel when the people are building a tower to make a name for themselves he says let us go down there and confuse their own language and so you you see the trinity in the in Genesis, uh, right from the beginning, let us make man in our own image, in our own image, let us make a male and female. So you've got this uh, plural uh, plurality of God, and we can talk about this when we get closer to Trinity Sunday on June 4th. But here you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and so here again, you get that plural, let us go and confuse their language. Because the people are using their common language and their unity to try to achieve heaven or achieve God on their own merits. And so, when the coming of the Holy Spirit happens in Acts, the fulfillment of what we just read in Joel, what we have is the reversal of Babel. Because as tongues are divided like fire and appearing and resting on each person, they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. Now, I'm, I'm a pastor of a charismatic Anglican church. It's a three streams Anglican church where, where liturgical, uh, 
we're evangelical and we're charismatic in that we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the movement of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that, that, the, that the Holy Spirit is still doing his healing work in the world and even the miraculous. And I, I believe here that as the Spirit gives utterance many times in the charismatic circles, um, this issue of tongues comes up. But I, I, my belief here in Acts 2 is they're, they're literally speaking other people's languages. To, so be, un, to be understood and, because of the variety yeah. of, of, of locations from whence these people came. Right, yeah. right. So this isn't gibberish. This isn't pig Latin. This isn't anything weird. Um, it's actually, well, it, it's quite weird. It's quite strange for somebody not to know a language and all of a sudden they know a language. But it, it's a language that exists and they're speaking so that they can be understood by the crowds there. And it seems to me, you mentioned the Trinity, that at least outside the liturgical church, the Holy Spirit gets short shrift. That's a good point. Um, yeah. um, what can we do to to change that? I mean, when I pray, I pray to God the Father or I pray to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And every now and then I think, well, oops, that might not be exactly what mm-hmm. he has in mind for me. Holy Spirit, please pray the prayer. I ought to be praying now. Yeah. And you tell me that comes from Romans chapter 8. Right. It's actually one of my favorite. We're at, my church is uh, Shepherd's Heart Anglican Church. We're actually in the throes of a Romans book study where we're studying the book of Romans. And one of my favorite verses in Romans is, comes from eight, chapter 8. And I believe it's 26, 27, that we do not know how to pray as we ought to pray, but the Spirit intercedes with our spirit uh, to give us the words to pray. And so the Spirit helps us in our weakness in that we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit leads us and interprets our groans. So, you know, we've all been at some point in our life have probably been in such um, stress or agony that the words fail us and we might we might groan we might go ah lord or Mm -hmm. oh you know and and, and groan within us and the spirit says i hear you i know exactly what you said and uh i'm interceding for you i hear that prayer so it's romans 8 26 through 27 likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches the hearts and knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, when Jesus says pray, he says, whatever you ask in my name. So we pray in Jesus' name, but you're right that the Holy Spirit gets shortchanged, but in the Trinity, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, these three are one, and the Holy Spirit is God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is God. So, we can pray, um, certainly to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is certainly interceding for us, and in Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians 3.16 Paul says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? And in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them. But the Spirit searches the things 
all things. So well, we, we, we can't we can't see him. I think maybe that's the gist of this that that he gets short shrift. We have no no image right. in mind. We we can we can kind of see God the Father, whether it's a flowing white beard and you know I, whatever the image is for 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 God the Father who art in heaven, and we have this image of Jesus through mm-hmm. some famous paintings and pictures and representations over the years. So at least in our minds we can we see something that represents a person. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, we don't have the evidence except spiritual evidence, which, as you just said, most of us can't fathom. We yeah, and let's talk, let's talk about that, too, because if, if God is God and, and God is a person, the person of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Spirit is not some... Um, force like you see in star wars or something like that use the force i mean it's not it's the person so we don't say it when we refer to the spirit we say him um we should not um depersonify the spirit but to your point the spirit gets shortchanged because the spirit he is um easily misunderstood one of my favorite theologians um has just died this past week, Tim mm, Keller. Yes. Um, and one of his uh, sayings, he, he said, truth is like a horse. We're to ride the, the horse of truth. The problem is we're always falling off of one side of the horse or the other. So in regards to the Holy Spirit being disregarded, either we don't regard him at all and we fall off that side of the horse or we over-regard the Spirit, if you can do that, or misconstrue the Spirit, um, abuse, misuse, and misunderstanding, and we see the, the Spirit as almost like a tool or an it, or dis, you know, kind of, dis- kind, of symbo- kind of symbolic is what right. we're Right. Yeah. I, I almost said disembodied, but mm. uh, de- depersonalized is a better way to say that, mm-hmm. um, because the Spirit doesn't have form necessarily i mean this is where where we get the um the wind image from jesus speaking to nicodemus that we just mentioned earlier so if we're misunderstanding the spirit we need to understand the spirit and the bible is filled with um, one-liners really verses of scripture that are rich in understanding um who the spirit is so upwards of just 40, over 40 verses um, uh, about the Spirit of God. And we see the Spirit not only in the New Testament, so this is also a, a misunderstanding of the Spirit. The Spirit is actually at work in the Old Testament. In Genesis 1, the Spirit is brooding or hovering over the waters of the uh, earth. And so the Spirit is creating with God the Father and Jesus from the very foundation of the world. And so we see the Spirit of God right from the first chapter of Genesis, and we see the Spirit of God at work, not only in the Joel chapter that I just read, but like in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel 36, 27 says, and I will put my Spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my law. So we can't even obey God. We can't follow the law. We can't follow God's decrees, and we can't keep his law apart from the Holy Spirit's power. 
So here we see the Spirit of God, even in the Psalm, Psalm 143.10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good Spirit lead me on level ground. So the Spirit of God is throughout the Scriptures, Old and New Testament, many references to, to the Spirit of God as being God, even in Zechariah. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And of course, we began with the Joel uh, passage of the prophesying of the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is fulfilled in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Okay, key question here. Before Pentecost, go back hundreds of years, thousands of years, and part of this is Doug Greenwald's teaching of a biblical context and the nature of the Hebrew people. He, he has said a number of times that they were not spiritual people. God is what God does. It's what you see, what you can eat, what you can, you can, you can, you need physical representations. That's, that's why idols were so predominant in across all the major religions and minor religions in, in that day. They needed something in stone or something in gold to, to remind them that there was a God to be placated. Now, the Hebrews had very similar thoughts, that is, the placation of God. You go to the temple, you kill an animal, somehow that justifies you before God. There's, there's little of the Spirit in that whole procedure. So, it, is it fair to say that it wasn't until Pentecost that that really was turned inside out? Now, John the Baptist said, repent. He talked mainly about forsaking the whole animal sacrifice system. The, the, that was old, it was gone, it was, it's being replaced by the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ. But, the, but Pentecost, then, does, does that int really introduce the Holy Spirit hmm. on earth? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, and, and I would cite Joel and Zechariah and Genesis 1, all the Old Testament passages, the Psalms, Ezekiel, all the Old Testament passages that I've just references, referenced. The issue that I think we have is that we have um, bifurcated our faith between the spiritual and the physical. And um, I, I believe that's heretical. I certainly believe it's Gnostic that the spirit, that we are somehow spiritual beings trapped in a physical body, and if we just escape the physical, the spirit could do the spirit's work. But the Spirit is always seeking a body. Always. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16 that don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? In other words, certainly God dwelt in the temple. You see this with the cloud, of the glory cloud, the Shekinah glory in the days of Solomon coming in the temple. You see it in Exodus with the pillar of cloud leading the people. By day, and what's the pillar at night? Fire. fire. Mm -hmm. The Spirit, exactly. The Spirit, the same fire that comes at Pentecost is leading the people in Exodus. Um, this is God. And so, I, I am, I am, my stance is that the Spirit is always seeking a place to dwell. So, the Spirit's job, right from Genesis 1, is to order chaos. The Spirit is ordering physical chaos in Genesis. The Spirit is taking matter and putting it together for a dwelling place for God with His people. And so, 
the spirit's work is always embodying people and and places and so the gnostic heresy is to disembody spiritual beings so we are spiritual beings and and that's that's the that's the hang up right are we spiritual beings having a physical experience? Or are we physical well, beings I was gonna having ask, a spiritual ask experience? That. It said that man is a tripartite being, somehow mirroring mirror, a mirror image, a hint of the nature of the Trinity, body, mind, and spirit, or right. body, soul, and spirit. I'm guessing right. mind and soul are supposedly the same thing. Um, is that a useful analogy or not? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's important that we do not disembody our faith, and and we see this, and again, it, the heresy is Gnosticism. It's escapism. It's where we get, you know, we're gonna, you know, heaven is some place in the wispy clouds where we play our, play our harps, you know, and and when God's gonna do a new heaven and a new earth, He's doing it here. It's a recreation. Again, I'll quote Keller on this because Keller says this. He says, if the resurrection is true then all of physical reality will be resurrected. Physical. In, other, this, in other words, and this is, this is key here, come the new heaven and the new earth, we will have remade bodies, but they will be physical bodies, and our place will be on the new earth. Yes, physical earth. Mm-hmm. So we, we are in danger anytime we try to disembody our faith, bifurcate it, divide it, say, oh, I'm just a spiritual being trapped in this body if I can just shake this thing. No, God will have it restored. God will have it resurrected. God will have it renewed. And then God will indwell us as he does now. I mean, here's the thing. Each of us as followers of Jesus, when we're baptized believers, are filled at conversion with God's Holy Spirit. So, we can't separate the spirit and the body, but I think this is the number one issue. This is the number one thing we do, and it's a Gnostic heresy as ancient as the day is long, and so we can't do that to our faith. So, in again, Paul in Romans says that it's the spirit of God that bears witness to, uh, to us that we are children of God. So the spirit, we have a spirit, Paul says, of adoption, by which we cry, Abba, Father. And so all of this is in Romans chapter 8, and, uh, and Paul is adamant that that spirit of God who is at work inside of us. I'm, I'm hearing from you that the spirit is somehow tethered to the physical, to the body. Yeah. And that yeah. Un- untethered chaos returns there, there's no anchor there's no center yeah uh it's yeah. And, and that's gnosticism at, at its worst and it's it is still around today in many forms witchcraft it's alive Satan, well. mm-hmm. i'm sorry go yeah, ahead. It, it's this idea that we can save ourselves through enough knowledge and that we we're just trapped here and it's this disembodiment mm-hmm. and so it's just not so it's not so the holy spirit is at work from the foundation of the earth it's moving us. It, it, he is moving us. He is guiding us. 
So there's one spirit. The titles of the Holy Spirit are the one spirit, seven spirits from Revelation, one spirit, Ephesians 4, 4. You got the spirit of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, an eternal spirit, Hebrews 9, 14, the spirit of glory, 1 Peter 4, 14, the spirit of life, uh, a spirit of vitality, Romans 8, 2, a spirit of holiness, Romans 1, 4, spirit of wisdom, understanding, knowledge. So listen, these are things of the earth here. When we're looking for understanding, when we're looking of wisdom, when we're looking for counsel, when we're looking for knowledge, hallelujah, that's the Spirit's work in Isaiah 11, 2. Pretty amazing, and I can hear the Holy Spirit even now breathing a sigh of relief. Ah. <laughs> right. Somebody's got it. Somebody understands. Yeah. Robbie Pruitt, again, the uh, executive director of Preserving Bible Times. We heartily recommend a visit to their website. Take a look around. There's some things for free that can help you in your Bible studies, in your small groups. There are uh, streaming videos. There are e-books uh, for purchase. You'll find it uh, a very useful adjunct in, in your understanding of, of not just the Gospels, but the Bible as a whole. That's something that's readily apparent from Robbie's sessions with us is how closely um, interwoven the Old Testament is with the New. It's, it's one deal, all 66 books, and uh, Preserving Bible Times will help you understand that and help you to read between the lines. Robbie, thanks so much. We'll see you in a week and uh, look forward to that. In the meantime, take care of Jacob and the crew and, and happy anniversary to you on Monday. Thank and uh, we'll see you, okay? Joy and a pleasure to be with you, Jim, on the Broken Road. Next week, we'll kick around the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that. Bye-bye. <laughs>